The Mental Health and Wealth Show. The Mental Health and Wealth Show. The Mental Health and Wealth Show. This is Melanie Lockhart, host of the Mental Health and Wealth Show. Thank you for listening. I just wanted to start the show with saying that I am not a mental health professional or a financial professional. All content should not be considered professional, medical, or financial advice. I want to let you know that as a trigger warning, please note that content on the podcast can include topics like mental health and suicidal ideation and talk about a lot of sensitive topics. So please know that before listening. If you are currently in distress, please get in touch with a professional by texting HOME to 741-741. Hi, it's Minnie here from wealthycampgirl.wordpress.com. I want you to be aware as a listener that things I say in this interview are things that I want to work on in my future and navigating my finances while managing a mental illness is a process that doesn't happen overnight and I don't have all the details exactly figured out, but I do have a planned guideline of what I want to work on. This is Melanie Lockhart, host of the Mental Health and Wealth Show. Today we have Minnie from the blog Wealthy Cam Girl. Thanks for being on the show, Minnie. Yeah, it's been interesting. (laughs) (laughs) Good. Well, I'm glad to uh, have you here and share your story. Yeah, I'm happy to share it. Well, let's dive right in. I wanted to talk to you, you know, kind of about what you do with a blog like Wealthy Cam Girl. I know a lot of us are interested in what you do and you make your living in a very interesting way. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? Um, I realize what I do is interesting to people not doing it because I'm now, it's 17 years of me doing it. Wow. So it's no longer exciting anymore. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's just a job. So for the cam girl part, it is live stream entertainment for a mature audience, mostly men that want you to be available and be flirty and cute through a webcam. And they, you get paid with tips. You get paid with private chats. They join your fan club. They buy you gifts. It's, it now feels like a, a menu off of McDonald's. So it's for anybody looking at it from stories in the media, they think it's really lucrative and exciting, which it can be, but for a daily everyday activity, it's just, I log on, I do my stream, I log off. I wait for checks in the mail. Sometimes checks are delayed. So it's it's very interesting that the world knows it now. Before when I started it, nobody knew what it was. And then now it's everyone's like, well, tell me more. And I'm like, I don't want to tell anybody more. Yeah. Yeah. No, it sounds like a lot. It was a lot because when I started doing it, a lot of people hated me for doing it. Really? So I got a lot of backlash of people that were telling me this will ruin my life. I'll never get another job. And when I've gotten jobs, I've worked call center, retail, minimum wage. I've gone to college. And every time I come home, I make money. And now everybody wants to make money from home. And I've been doing it. I dropped out of high school. So it's it's just a little bit weird now that I'm now like an authority in what I do. But I want to tell people what to do because I learned it the hard way. Nobody, I, had, I didn't have a mentor. I didn't have a coach. I found an ad in the paper. I answered it. I started working. And then I kept working. This might be um, obvious or not. I'm not sure. I know nothing about cam girls, but is there a level of nudity required or no? Is it just kind of flirting or like what, what is required? It can be nudity. 
It can be masturbation. It can be sex with a partner, mm-hmm. but it's up to the performer. It's up Got to it. okay. the live streamer, almost like in other streams, like gaming streams, like Twitch. Like we know they game video games and we think most of them all play Fortnite, but they could play Sims. They, they could play Super Mario. Like they could. So what camming is kind of the same thing. It's you're the entertainment. People come and see you. And then there's a range of things that you want to be available for or that you just naturally do. So for me, it's, yeah, I don't even think about what I offer anymore because it's, like I said, it feels like a McDonald's menu. Yeah, you're like, it's a job. I yeah. don't to do. Yeah. Totally. Yeah, I'm pro sex work. And I think what you do is, you know, fascinating for people that aren't in that industry. And, you know, I can totally understand after doing it 17 years, you're like, this is a job. This is just what I do. It's not anything special or important to to me. And kind of on that note, since you've been doing it for almost two decades, has your job affected your mental health? Well, I had mental health problems before my job. Mm-hmm. It's just that once I got out of the environment that was triggering the mental health, then I really saw what my symptoms were. So once I got in my own apartment and I started working, and then there was times where if I took a day off, it took me longer to get back to work. Or I would build up this panic because of the job being all commission-based and never knowing your paycheck. I was always freaking out that I wouldn't make enough money so that I would make the cutoff time to get paid. And it, it, it became multiple times or because it's you're working from home by yourself and there's no boss or coworkers or anything. There wasn't a fear of being fired and there wasn't, um, I need to make the deadline. Like everything was because of, if you didn't make your money from commission tips at a certain time, it will roll over the next week. So you always, you just get back on and do it again. It wasn't, Oh, I'm fired. I didn't make, performance or something. It was just, okay, I need to make $10 next week to make sure that it's paid on the 30th or something. And then if you made it, it would start over again. So you're always making the minimum to get paid and then it would reset to $0 and you start all over again. Yeah. And I can imagine having to always quote, be on must take a toll on your mental health too. I know that you know in a lot of public facing jobs, it can be exhausting always kind of being in front of people, having to talk, having to entertain when you're like, I just want to be alone and be by myself. And I can imagine that that can be tough. I didn't find it tough because of the cam chat room. Mm -hmm. You're only talking to people when they type. Oh, nice. So if there's nobody typing, I wouldn't, I wouldn't dance around the room or something. I may get up and stretch, but I'm not performing because the room is not interactive. The room had to be interactive for me to like flash them or stand up or smile. Yeah, smiling was the big thing. Most of the time I wouldn't smile when it's typically a natural thing people do. But once it's in an environment where you're getting paid for how you look, it became where I had to smile because there's a reason to smile. So either they were tipping me or they would say something that was not offensive. So that was the, the thing about being in a chat room is that people could say anything to you. So there's times where they would say something and the me, not the performer me, found it offensive or inappropriate. And then I would have a personal response to it. And then I have to turn it into a character response. 
Mm, that must be really tough. I feel like yeah. that must have an impact on your mental health. If you're feeling like there are these offensive things that are said to you and you have to process them in one way, but react publicly in a different way. Yeah. So that's sometimes the hardest part, but it's also because it's the internet and it's a controlled environment. It's only on because I click broadcast. So for me to end that like uncomfortableness, it's either I kick the person out the room, I block them from the chat room, or I log off. And then hopefully that person goes into a different chat room to talk to somebody else so I can log on and they're bored of me. So it, it ends up being a weird waiting game of who's going to spend money on me and then filter out the people that are just inappropriate or, or rude. Got it. And then repeating it every day to make it a paycheck. Yeah. Oof. Yeah. I, I don't think your job is easy. And I know a lot of people probably have preconceived notions about what a cam girl is or what a cam girl does. But I think, you know, you're definitely putting in the work to make sure that you're getting paid. Yeah. It's pretty much all money focused, which is probably why all my responses are money focused because once you set up the computer, the webcam, your internet, you know what you're going to wear online, how your hair is, your makeup, it's rinse and repeat. Mm -hmm. And then somehow it's 17 years later and I'm still doing it. <laughs> and these websites are still in business. So every time, like, because I'm in Canada and these companies are in the US and the US, they have legal problems going on or there's always a legal thing going on with the US, like California. That's so fascinating that you brought that up because I'm in California and I'm dealing with a similar panic. I think you're referring to AB5, mm -hmm. which is affecting freelance writers too. I know the name of it. I have no idea what it really does because my country still sees what I do as commission income. And because the companies, I fill out W-8 IRS tax form. Like I still fill out a U.S. form. Yeah because of tax treaty stuff. That's it. And like 2003, when I filled that form, I had no idea what that form was. <laughs> yeah. And then now, like for me, it's an everyday thing. And then when I compare, like my family does this thing about comparing, um, they won't make a certain amount of money, money because of taxes. And for me, I have to make my money from a different country. It comes into here. I convert it to my currency then I do my expenses, then I freak out if I owe taxes. There's just way more steps in it because of the country operates around it. Like it's so there's so many other things I worry about other than than taxes, what tax break I fall into. Because most of the time I fall into the lower tax break because the math works out that way. And those are things that I learned as I was doing it because I started as a CAM model and the campsites, they don't teach you that. So even working for yourself, you don't you don't know what you're walking into. And then for you to go find the answer, you're always scared you're getting the wrong answer. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much like the whole self-employment deal. You're like, I don't really know what I'm doing, but I'm going to learn as I go and hope that I know what I'm doing. And talking about taxes, I remember my first year of self-employment, I got bumped into the next tax bracket, but I didn't realize it. And so I got hit with like a $10,000 tax bill and I was freaking out because it was right after I paid off all of my debt and I had to deplete all of my savings again and start over. And it was really traumatic. 
And, you know, now I save a lot for taxes. Obviously I try to write off as much as I can. And yeah, that's just something I had to learn along the way too, is like, oh, you have to be really mindful of your income and your taxes and your expenses when you're self-employed and try to get advice from the right places so you kind of know what you're doing. Yeah, because the advice part, especially for the line of work that I'm doing, so cam models, they have certain write-offs for being an entertainer, like makeup and wardrobe. So like with makeup is one thing. So makeup is is actually kind of sexist. If you're a male wearing cosmetic makeup, they let you write it off. But they see as females wearing makeup as an everyday thing. What? Yeah. <laughs> so, hmm, that is sexist. It is. So like, even though you're thinking this is your business and it is, there's like an industry tax code for it and everything. But then there's certain things where you just, you take the hit because for you to explain it to the government and they already made the rules about it, they pretty much have to like get a lot of people claiming the same thing before they change it. Because even with the industry code for what I file under now, wasn't there for a long time. Mm-hmm. So you're filing your income and then finding the right code that matches what you're doing. And if it's not there to find the similar one that matches and still submit your income and expenses. Yeah, it became like now because luckily there's TurboTax blog that has a lot of information on it where it's only now in the last couple of years I'm able to like make filing taxes as like a system before it was when you add up all my numbers and shoebox receipts yeah, and then hopefully <laughs> I don't have a giant tax bill. <laughs> yeah. Don't pull a me. I don't recommend it. It's how you get it started. Like, cause at least we know this needs to be added up. Mm-hmm. Other people ignore it completely until they get their tax bill. Then they freak out. But if you don't at least give the, proven numbers the government can come back and pull a number out of thin air and say you owe it so i at least know that part of it of i'm not getting paid a salary there's no benefits there's no insurance but as long as the government knows my numbers we're fine and i can prove the numbers we're fine and then prove where the money was being spent we're fine which it's funny of the personal budget i just spend money anywhere not even pay attention mm-hmm but the business side, everything has a place and a reason where it went. Yeah, totally. Yeah, kind of on that note, you know, I want to shift directions a little bit, but kind of piggybacking off what you just said about personal expenses. So you've been open about living with bipolar and PTSD. How do you think that has affected you financially, especially when it comes to your personal expenses? It's heavily based on my mood and it's heavily based on... Like my family, they're the big toxic trigger out of it. So there's certain times of the year where I have more anxiety because I fear I have to see my family. Mm, Got it. So like Christmas, maybe Thanksgiving, and then January, and then sometime in the summer. So my body literally gets more stress closer to those times of the year, where now it's taking me a lot longer to realize that I can ignore the phone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can set boundaries. Yeah, I'm an adult. I'm paying taxes. I need to save for retirement. The same things my family's doing, I'm doing now. So they should be able to understand of, I need to make sure that this is happening so I don't have to deal with it later. But because they're your family, they still see you as 10 years old. So the whole, 
of telling them I have responsibilities, I can't see you. It's like they didn't prepare for that. Yeah. Or they did, but they're it's not what they want. They wish they had more time or something. Yeah. Like the whole window of you have a baby and you have 18 years <laughs> to spend all their time with them. Otherwise they'll leave the house and you will never see them again. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's little it's things like that, like the boundaries thing. And then realizing that what I do is important because I have to file taxes on it every year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's how you make your living. And so for people that aren't super familiar, can you explain kind of what bipolar and PTSD is, at least for you and how it affects you? I know it can affect people differently. So my PTSD is based on traumatic events that happened to me. And then my bipolar is based on my childhood not being able to express my feelings or any of my boundary needs growing up. It's the best way to describe it because my childhood was chaotic where anytime I had a stable moment, one of my parents would ruin it with either deciding to move me to a different house or leave me in Jamaica for months at a time. So anytime I was doing stable in school or activities or like ballet, any of the normal stages you think kids would go through to develop their interests and hobbies and things like that, mine always got cut short because my family members had a good idea to do something. Mm. Yeah, you're always at their mercy. Yeah, and because again, you're a minor and your parents make all the decisions for you, even if you know you don't like it or have a better idea and because you're under 18, they don't listen to what you want. And then as an adult, try to figure out those pieces of what do you want and don't want. And then repeating it over and and my bipolar is more of the depression side. So the depression side of just feeling like I'm ignored all the time. Yeah. So if I feel ignored, why am I here? Mm -hmm. And then it was, that's the root of it. That's the root I can explain or where it comes from. It's my family because I grew up in a house where it was my mom and eight other siblings, and then me and my sister. So it's me and my sister, we're under 10 years old, and then my cousins, they're teenagers, and then their aunts, some uncles, and my mom. Pure chaos. Sometimes I get left at the bus stop. Mm -hmm. Sometimes no one picked us up at school. But because there was just enough adults in the house to eventually remember who we were, child services never came in. So they were doing just enough crazy where child services thought we were fine. Mm. And it, it continued on until I was 18. And then I left. So it wasn't, it didn't get better until I left. And then it didn't get better when my mom thought maybe I should go live with my father who was around, but not, not equipped to raise children. Yeah. He was good for on the weekends because he had my grandmother, but for a full-time dad, he was not ready for that at all. So it's, I'm still packaging that or unpackaging it because of so much of that doesn't create a stability for me in certain things in my life now mm-hmm. like financially of uh, the mis- like lessons I did I don't I can't call them mistakes because in the moment you're doing them you think you're doing the best thing for yourself I mean, yes I'm getting a payday loan for 56 percent interest but it took care of six months of my living expenses so the numbers are, are dumb, but the life, what you're using it for, is it's what it's being used for. I wasn't doing crazy spending sprees. And when I did do crazy spending sprees, 
is when I was making my own money in commissions. So if I had a good commission day, I would forget that this should be savings. This should be retirement. Yeah. I would think I have all this money. And you're like, I'm rich. I got all this money. I can go spend yeah, it. I would buy a friend an iPod. Oh, and wow. Like, Why are you buying an iPod? And I'm like, take it. I would feel really awful if you didn't take the iPod. Yeah. So the impulse part of the bipolar, it's a little nuts. And because it's based on my mood. So if I feel happy, like this whole financial journey, the more I move through different milestones, I may buy crazy items that I don't need. And at the moment in time, I'm buying them. Like now I think like a great idea. (laughs) Yeah. Like there's times where if I have enough money and I want to go to Vegas, I'll go. There's nobody stopping me and there's no job telling me I have to take time off. Yeah. I think there's nothing wrong inherently like with going to Vegas, but yeah, it's like this balance of like, okay, I have the money. I want to go to Vegas. I have the time, but also are my other financial goals, like paying off debt, saving for retirement, are those being met too? Yeah, that's the the new growing up part I'm learning. <laughs> yeah. Cuz I'm 35 now and there's $25 in retirement. Not invested, just sitting there, $25. Cuz it's apparently retirements are savings accounts, then you have to invest them. Yes, I learned this the hard way too. <laughs> Nobody told me that when I opened the account. I started investing 4 years ago after I paid off debt. And I like invested two or three thousand dollars, or or so I thought. And then I didn't realize that it was just sitting in this holding account until I like purchased, you know, index funds. And literally, I had to ask someone, "Can you please tell me step by step how to do this? Because I have no idea what I'm doing." And I thought I opened an account, I put money in there. I was like, "Oh, I'm investing," and I wasted like six months of just having like three thousand dollars in this account doing nothing. And I was like, wow, okay. Like, but yeah, no one teaches you this stuff. And I literally had to ask a friend, can you tell me step by step how to do this? Because I don't know what I'm doing. And it's like, even just the process of ticker codes and buying stocks and bonds and index funds. And it's just a wild journey that no one teaches you about, you know? So you mentioned you have $25 in your retirement and you're 35. And I completely know what that feels like. I I do have a bit more invested than that, but also I feel very behind. I'm also 35 and just started saving and investing a few years ago. And it feels nerve wracking to feel like you're so behind and trying to prepare for your future. And I just kind of wanted to get your thoughts on that. And also if you can kind of give me your background on what is your experience with debt? And I think you also mentioned bankruptcy as well. Right. So the retirement was feeling I'm behind was because I treated my bipolar and it's stable according to my doctors. It doesn't feel like that all the time, but so great. If it's stable, what's the next thing I should be working on? And it's more also the last thing I was working on before my bipolar took effect. It was, I was trying to save money in my retirement account because I, I, I opened it in 2004. So I opened it right pretty early, but not a lot of money was going in it. And then I did the mistake of taking money out of it when I had a boyfriend that had a problem. So I took care of his problem, but not mine. Oh, Yeah, it's it's a lot of not focusing on yourself and ignoring everybody because we're adults and you'll figure it out. Mm, yeah, <laughs> We're now at the place where we can figure it out. We're not children anymore. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, it just, I became stable in my mental health. And then I looked at 
people think I'm normal. So I thought normal was retirement, credit cards, buying a house, all those things. And then the time went by the whole 10 years. And because of the mental health, it took a lot of time. It took away a lot of time and energy where now I have to do double. At least I feel that way. I have to do double. Yeah. And then all those mistakes of bankruptcy, bankruptcy, and bankruptcy. Yeah. And have you filed for bankruptcy three times or are you just saying that like? No, it is. It's officially three times. So when I filed now, so Canada has bankruptcy where you say that you cannot pay all your debts and then they, they combine it all and then it goes into a document and you pay a legal fee mm-hmm. depending on how much assets that you have. So they gave me both my options. So if I file bankruptcy, I would pay like 2,500 in legal fees or the other option is consumer proposal where it's, they settle all your debts. You tell them you can pay something, but not the minimum payment that they're asking for. So that's being reduced, but it still shows up on your credit report like a bankruptcy. Mm -hmm. So the bank credit card companies, they don't see them as two different things, but when you file it, you know, it's two different things. So the reason why I keep saying it's three times is because the first time it was a proposal. And then from what I can tell my mental health changed it to a bankruptcy because I wasn't focused on it and stable enough on it the first time to make it a proposal. If I made it a proposal the first time, obviously it'd be different results than I have right now. But because it's not just, I have a clear mind and I'm filing bankruptcy. I had other things going on where I had to purge everything and bankruptcy yeah, was one of them. start over. Yeah. And then it was, I started over. I did borrow money for a long time the first time I filed bankruptcy. So I only started borrowing money again the last two years, but I borrowed money in the wrong places. Mm-hmm. So what, what payday the loan, places? Payday the, payday loan, loan, yeah, the payday loan was the first place I went to only because my credit score was low instead of getting a secure credit card where you give them money and then they give you a card back and you use it to build your credit. In my thinking of not getting the secure card was because that's how I ruined my credit the first time. I thought I didn't want to repeat that behavior. But now I'm learning that it's really the only two options of building healthy credit that's good. I'm going to say good credit only because there's credit companies that will lend money to anybody because they don't care and they need to make money. And then there's like the bank and a car loan and a mortgage where they want to see you have a good history of borrowing money so that they can report to this credit bureau that they all pay a fee to send the report. So this is where now I'm like, the whole credit report thing is a giant illusion. Yeah. The whole credit industry itself is just like a whole entire mess. And I think it's so messed up and so unfair and so biased. And, you know, something that I always try to tell people and what I was thinking about when I was paying off my debt and dealing with my credit is like, who is profiting off your debt? Because somebody is, and especially these payday loans, if you you said, I think 56% interest, like someone is profiting off your debt. So your misfortune and you owing money and you having to pay back this thing that feels so insurmountable, someone is enjoying that. Yeah, they are. Especially now that one of my banks I bank with, they made a statement that they're going to compound interest the balance Mm. instead of just a fixed interest rate, I guess. Yeah. I don't really read the fine print. So it's 
I'm pretty sure a lot of people don't know the difference. It's just the way that the bank makes changes every couple of years or so to change their products and services or pricing, where sometimes you can have like a balance sitting at the end of the end of the month where you don't pay a monthly fee. They're dropping that. And then there's their credit card they're dropping and then their minimum account. So the minimum account is what I switched to where I pay like $4 a month for the banking fee only because I need it. Mm-hmm. So my commission checks can be wire transferred into that account because online banks don't do wire transfers. So again, we're constantly moving in and out of the financial products because there's no other choice. And it's not like everything is going to be sending me money at Western Union. Mm-hmm. And even that they take a fee. So <laughs> yeah, everybody's trying to take their cut for sure. And then taxes. So I get the money in the country, I lose it in bank fees, and then I have to pay taxes on the original amount. It's a little frustrating. I mean, yes, bank fees are business expense eventually. It's just, it doesn't feel that way in that moment. Totally. Yeah, no, it's just feels like everyone's taking their cut. And then what you actually take home at the end of the day is like, oh, I feel that way. And, you know, it's like, I get paid. It's like, oh, this seems like a good rate. Oh, but I pay taxes. And then they pay for my own retirement, my own health insurance, which is expensive in the States. Yeah. And then I look at the net number and I'm like, oh, okay. This suddenly doesn't look that great. And I think that's good advice for anybody that's self-employed is like, you have to charge a lot because you have to. Like, you have to pay for your own retirement, your own taxes, your own savings, your own benefits. Like if I get sick, I don't get paid, you know? And so it's like, you have to consider all of these things that you're, you're missing out and you don't have a nine to five job. And to your point as well, like when you're looking at financial products, like look at these bank fees, look at what places aren't taking wire transfers. If that's something that you need and, you know, yeah, maybe looking at the fine print. Yeah. Because they send it to you. Yeah. And since almost everything is online, you could find an online copy of almost everything. Totally if true. If they upload the PDF documents, you can definitely just Google your bank and their fee. Their fee, like certain keywords will get you the PDF document that you need. This is, which is my benefit of being at home all the time and being on the internet all the time. I Google random things just to yeah. so show up. So totally, totally. This is how I know that you can Google your bank's PDF documents for your bank fees that they post in the bank. Mm-hmm. When you're at the teller, it's right there, that little sign that people ignore. Yeah. It's about being more mindful and taking a look at the, the fine print. Because we're now signing, especially since we sign up for these services, we click terms and conditions, I agree. Mm-hmm. Go back and, and we read don't it. really read it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm guilty of that too. I agree. Just go back and read what you agreed to. Yeah. You're like, oh, I just signed my life away. Signed away my firstborn child. Just kidding. Um, If they could put that in there, you wouldn't know. Yeah. So, yeah, it's you really have to read it. Um, So I wanted to talk about like, you know, we've talked a lot about your mental health and your financial history and kind of where you're at now. And I think a lot of people who are in a similar situation can kind of resonate with where you're at and you're on this journey of trying to you know, manage your mental health, but also your financial wellness. So what steps are you taking in this current moment to make sure that your mental health is being taken care of, but also you are taking steps to secure your financial future? So the mental health is pretty much taken care of. Unless I go off my medications and stop going to my doctor's appointments, 
that's the only way I could really ruin it. And my doctors are really good at giving me services that they think I need, even though I feel like I've, I don't need them anymore. So there's times where my doctor will pull up some psychotherapy group or so even though I have a regular psychotherapist. So Mm -hmm. it's very funny that she's packing on more services Yeah. when sometimes, so you treat your mental illness, but the symptoms are still there, even though you're on your medication. They're just being managed. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's less of an episode or it's less intense, but it's still there. And then there's healthy stress that usually you can use problem solving tools, the critical thinking to get out of it. Mm -hmm. But because of having the mental illness, sometimes solving those problems take a little bit longer. So now I'm learning that because the doctors say I'm stable, just keep taking my meds, keep showing up at doctor's appointments. The next thing is now is healthy diet and then not spending all my money mm-hmm. because of I'm so used to chaos. I would spend my money to create chaos. Interesting. Oh, yeah. I think that's like such a revelation. Because if you have nothing, you panic and you have to replenish it. So yeah, and because I used to jump ahead thinking I needed the big picture, I'm learning to live in the small progress. Like, yes, my family wants me. My family, they have this idea that I should be more ahead, but they forgot the whole years of me not being mentally equipped or prepared. So me now, it's everything is a slow down pace. So like when I learned about Dave Ramsey's four walls, you take care of your food, your shelter, utilities, transportation, and some clothing. That's just all I focus on right now. And then once that's a fixed income for four walls, then I can add in retirement and then I can add in giving and other things like that. And it's, it's funny that because of the income I was getting from disability, it's exactly my four walls. But because I felt the need to buy things to create an image that doesn't exist, I would spend that money thinking I had money when that money is already assigned for food, clothing, and shelter. Like it's it's already spent, but because I haven't moved it over to that category yet, or I haven't actually gone to the grocery store yet, I would spend it somewhere else. So now it's, I slow things down. I don't need to rush anything. It's better if the money sits in the account for the whole month than I spend it in five seconds. Totally. And I think, you know, what we're talking about here is like, really focusing on that small progress and where you are at in your own race, because I've totally felt similarly, you know, I'm 35. I feel extremely behind because I was paying off $81,000 in student loan debt up until age 31. And then, then I just started from ground zero, you know, starting to save for retirement and invest. And I look at a lot of my peers and feel like, Oh my gosh, I'm so behind this, that, and the other, but it's like, it's so not productive to compare yourself to somebody else. And like, it's never going to be an apples to apples comparison. Like they don't live in the same state as you. They don't have the same mental or physical health as you or the family situation or the same privilege. Like there's just no point in comparing your journey to anyone else's. And so, you know, if you can focus like, okay, for me, having a hundred dollars in a savings account more than a month is great progress. Then I'm going to try to do 125. Then I'm going to try to do 150. And really looking at that small progress, because, you know, if we only think of like, oh, I saved $10,000 or I hit the six figure mark, like, of course, it's going to feel overwhelming for people. They're going to feel like, what's the point? But if you can look at the 
oh, I saved $20 and then $40. And you can get that positive feedback. Like you get into a positive feedback loop where you're like, oh, I did it. And you feel positive and then you want to do it again because you want to recreate that emotion. So we got to try to focus on that small progress, create that positive feedback loop so that we keep doing it. And I love that point. And I really thought it was so fascinating when you talked about you spend money to create chaos. And I I just think that's interesting because I've been studying kind of a lot about relationship and attachment theory and a lot of things in, in romantic relationships, you know, you are trying to recreate kind of what you experienced in childhood. And so I think probably from a similar angle, like you're trying to recreate this environment that you had in childhood because that's what you know. And so when you're trying to create a better future, it feels completely different because you're like, I don't like normal feels weird. You know, I've been dealing with this with myself and my own healing journey is like, oh, like when you've been in dysfunction for so long, suddenly normal feels very weird. And it's just like you kind of want to create chaos or go back to like those dysfunctional patterns because they feel comfortable for you. So I think, you know, I just want to say that I'm super proud of you for trying to get out of that pattern, but also recognizing what it is. I mean, that's the the first point is awareness and being like, oh, I think this is why I'm doing this. And then also realizing like, as you start to make changes in your financial life, that these positive changes might not necessarily feel good because it doesn't feel normal for you. Maybe dysfunction feels normal. So normal feels very weird. And we have to be able to sit in that discomfort and be like, I am attuning myself to a new normal. And that's going to be a process in and of itself. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I do. And it's also for me learning it. That's what it was. It was from listening to Joyce Myers ministry Mm -hmm. because she came from that environment and she talks about it a lot in her services. And because she's not in one city, one location church, she rents out stadiums. She sends her message anywhere. She can rent a stadium to fill with thousands of people. And I'm not hugely religious. It's yeah. Even though I grew up that way, I grew up Seventh-day Adventist where we celebrate the Sabbath, we shut off the TV Friday evening till Saturday evening. And it only happened when my mom got a call from my grandmother. So if my grandmother didn't call my mom to say happy Sabbath, we're not going to church 10 o'clock in the morning, Saturday morning, when we could be doing gymnastics, swimming lessons, cartoons, homework. And again, my chaos of growing up was like that. So Everything was based on everyone else's schedule and nobody asked if I wanted to participate in any of it. And now I have to learn that I'm allowed to be quiet and still like a yeah. hundred dollars in the bank account. I don't need to go. Sp- like I could. Yeah. There's plenty of places you could, there's alcohol, there's clubs, there's strippers. Like there's many of places to spend money and have it vanish. And mm-hmm. you, Just you like don't have that. it. <laughs> And then if you need groceries, toilet paper, like I had toilet paper run out on New Year's Day. New Year's Day, typically stores are closed, which means I had to go to a convenience store and pay more money for it because what's open on New Year's Day? It's maybe four stores or a gas station open and you're hoping they have toilet paper. So now I'm learning now when holidays are coming up, do I have toilet paper? Do I have laundry detergent? Because you're still going to do those things on a holiday. Mm-hmm. And if you didn't plan your money to make sure that you had toilet paper or deodorant or something, you panic. And 
for North America, this is how we live. Other countries, they just live without it. And for us, it's the most important thing. And now toilet paper goes on sale. I try to buy two at a time. I mean, yes, it's just me. I'm a single person, but what, like, because that way I never you're have to worry about it. it. Yeah, yeah, you're always going to need it, but then it's better to never run out of it. And then if you buy double that one time it's on sale and it's you by yourself, it tends to almost last a whole year or a good half of the year, depending on how much you're buying. And for me, it's how much I'm buying and how much can I carry in my shopping cart. So learning like this is how I do things because it's just me by myself. So I have to find ways of how much I can carry, cook, eat, and not run out. And then not freaking out of if it's finished. Like I ran out of bread and now I'm trying to figure out when do I buy bread and how much food do I have until I last to buy bread. Like there's just certain items that you have to space out. So you're buying that item more. So you have something to eat and then you're waiting in between paychecks because every paycheck has like finite place to go. Yeah. It's it's a limited amount. And I think, you know, to your point, like kind of transitioning into this adulthood and taking care of yourself, it's all about how can I plan for my money? And I love how you mentioned like, yeah, planning for buying toilet paper, planning for buying bread. Like these are all essential things that you need, but it requires management. And I think, you know, managing your money is is the best form of self-care mentally, physically, and financially. And I think you're you're getting there and you're learning that stillness is okay. And, you know, that hundred dollars, like maybe you should just focus on seeing that amount and seeing it grow. Like maybe make it a challenge. Like I just want to see this number grow and like how long can I keep it in here and not touch it, you know? It's part of the process because now I know, and because I filed consumer proposal, not all my money is going to debt anymore. So there's fixed income from disability and irregular income from my commissions and income I made for last year, the whole year was $1,200, which means I was making what a hundred dollars a month for last year, which means I was not taking care of everything. And I only did take care of everything because it was given to me by family or friends, or um, sometimes because of my low income, there would be a tax credit from the government. And I got rid of my cats in 2017. So me spending money on them wasn't what's happening. So every dollar was coming in was either going to the payday loan or barely doing groceries and transportation. Because I I was going to all my doctor's appointments, but then, and then laundry. So laundry wasn't happening. Oh, yeah. So the thing about working from home, you don't have to do all your laundry all the time. Yeah. And if you don't leave the house, you don't need to be wearing the clothes that you wear outside. So people think your clothes are clean. Yeah. There's like certain, like, the poverty level of just making the appearance look like you're fine and because we can work from home makes it a little bit easier, but psychologically you're stressed out because laundry for me is $5 a wash and dry. And then there's times where the machine might not work. So if the mach- if you spend your $5 and the machine doesn't work, you don't have clean clothes. So then I wouldn't wear a lot of clothes. So these clothes were outside clothes, these clothes, like, I didn't want to worry about that. So this is where I filed bankruptcy. Great. That gives me a fresh start on the debt. The debt was good at the time, but for the long term of paying those monthly payments over and over again, a piece of me was missing. You feel it every time 
if you know your minimum payment is 300 over over 300 a month you feel it i can't tell and like i don't think anybody who has payments over 300 a month is not feeling that stress oh yeah totally it's a chunk for a lot of people it is because for some people it's their whole grocery budget the 300 dollars mm-hmm. so i knew something had to be changed and the only drastic way it could have been done and because of what it included for me in Canada, my student loans included in the bankruptcy, the proposal. And it's only because it's over seven years old. So how old my student loan is and how long it's been sitting there not getting payments and how my financial life drastically changed because of disability, I literally had to really look at my situation and then really look at my numbers and then gradually make a plan to increase my income because I still have a mental illness. It's not going anywhere. So even yes, I have this great idea to get out of debt and get out of disability and put money in my retirement. My brain is only thinking that right now. Two weeks from now, I could be in bed, completely depressed, watching Netflix and not get out of bed. Yeah. So great. I have this great, exciting, motivating idea now, but I have to make sure that it's not going to happen in 30 days. And then I don't have all my money going to minimum payments where I need that for groceries. I need it for laundry or I need it for the bus. Like it's, so now it's okay, great. I can start over. I get to think clearly. And from filing bankruptcy till now, it's been a lot of naps because it was exhausting. It wasn't an easy thing to carry emotionally. And then you wake up and you're always stressed because I didn't know if I was making commission income. And then half or more of my disability check was going to debt payments and the little I was getting. And I, I really don't want to call friends and family to help out. Yeah. They ask too many questions. Of that <laughs> so this is, this is also why borrowing money became okay because they're not going to ask you questions or looking at your credit score, but friends and family, they want to know questions that when you were having the hard time before it became borrowing money, they weren't around asking if you're okay. Oh, yeah. So the whole financial thing of how there's certain social rules in it, sometimes it just doesn't work because the people that you think are supposed to be there to be caring about you, aren't there asking you, do you have food? Do you have laundry done? Like, especially if someone has a house and they have a laundry room in their house, they're not asking family members that don't have a laundry room in their house. Yeah, that's a small way to give back, you know? It would be because- the whole point of them buying a house is that they have everything in their house <laughs> yeah. and they don't share anything with their family. And then when you tell them, oh, I need money for laundry, they're looking, what do you mean you need money for laundry? And I'm like, I don't have, I don't open a door and there's a laundry room in there. I have to go downstairs, tap my key, then tap a card with money on it and hope the machine works. Yeah, it's a whole process. <laughs> when you're in a house, you kind of have a good idea your machine is usually always working. Assuming that you're budgeting properly to repair it. Me, I don't know when the building is going to repair the laundry room. So now that I know all my limitations, it's it's good that my money doesn't go away as fast as it used to. Because like I lost my um, key card for my building. Mm-hmm. To replace it cost $45. Oof. But I was able to do it because, yes, I filed bankruptcy. Then you I got have more money. Yeah. I had my Christmas money that I saved. So the budget... like. Once you release that stress and then there's more money available and then I had money there to replace the key card, it was like a panic attack for 10 minutes Yeah. of, oh my God, I lost my key card. Where was it? I don't know. 
and then you calm down to like, okay, let me go buy a new one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You could just throw money at the problem and then move on with your life. Yeah. And then even when I went into the office to replace the key card, the management office responded to me, like I wasn't going to buy my key card in that moment. So because of the building, I guess it happens a lot. And then when they find out it's $45, a lot, I guess a lot of them don't have that money to do it. So then there's a lot of people running around the building without a key card, which security reasons, that's pretty bad. But for me, I was like, yeah, like once I went into the office and I could breathe from the panic attack and then I was able to buy the key card, it was really nice. But then realizing that the stress that transferred to the office of people that don't have the money to buy a key card because they don't have a hundred dollars sitting there waiting. Yeah, that's, it's a little sad, but at least I don't live there anymore. I'm not trying to keep my misery going on longer than it needs to. Yeah. And, you know, I just, I'm so happy of where you're at and kind of where you're going. I think your story is going to be inspirational for a lot of people. And just wanted to thank you so much for being on the show and sharing so openly about everything that you've experienced. You know, if people want to find you, where can they go? The best place to find me is my YouTube channel, Mini on Cam, and then my blog, wealthycamgirl.wordpress.com. So, those are the best places because I pretty much share every detail because that's just what it is. Mm-hmm. Like I'm living it. So if someone had a judgment towards it, you're not living that moment. It's me. So yeah. they, they feel bad that I, I filed bankruptcy, which is weird. I don't get how people who don't live in my house or with me when I go to doctor's appointments or grocery shopping, they have an opinion about me filing bankruptcy when it's in my name and it's in my reputation and I have to go and fix it. And I, I saw the document when I said three times. Yeah. <laughs> and it's funny because I didn't know they could find it. I thought it would go and file and act like I'm the first person filing for this office, but there's a database. They have, they have, there's a lot of information that you know, which is crazy. The amount of information that they know. Yeah. <laughs> so with everything, it's, I'll tell everybody everything, but it's either I'm living in it now or I've already done it. Well, you offered a lot of great advice on the podcast. I think this is going to be a really good episode for people. So I appreciate your your openness and vulnerability. Yeah. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. Have a nice day. All right. See you. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Mental Health and Wealth Show. And if you want to know anything about me, just feel free to email me at mentalhealthandwealthshow at gmail.com. You can also connect with me at melanielockert.com or mentalhealthandwealth.com. We will be releasing this podcast every other week on Friday. So definitely stay tuned for some other exciting episodes coming your way. I would love for you to go to mentalhealthandwealth.com and check out our content, sign up for our newsletter. And if you like the show, feel free to subscribe and review. Thank you so much.